Hi guys, welcome to Mindset Movement. Here we have the real health talk. So today we have a special guest who is a doctor. So Dr. Chris McLean, he's a chiropractor, as you can see in the message, and he is also known as the gut doctor. So we're going to talk to him about that and all the things that can help you have optimal health. So we're going to bring him on just after this. The mind, mind, body, and soul. Real health talk. The mind, body, and soul. Real health Hi, Dr. McLean. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? <laughs> great, great. Thank you for accepting this interview with us. So it's amazing to have you with us. So you're in San Diego, California. Yes, I am. Right, where it's like almost not. It's nine o'clock in the morning. I'm over here in Europe, in France, where it's six p.m. Isn't it wonderful? Social media. <laughs> We're gonna have a chat. <laughs> amazing. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your background? Who are you? Um, what is a chiropractor? Because I often get confused between an osteopath, a physiotherapist, and a chiropractor. What is a chiropractor? Uh, and what do you do? Hi. Okay. Well, I'd like to just tell you a little bit about it. I think that most people understand that chiropractic is based on treating your spine, but in my training, I feel that chiropractic is about affecting the brain through receptor-based activation and neuroplasticity. And um, I think there's a lot of overlaps between what chiropractors and physiotherapists do. We do a lot of exercise instruction and injury rehabilitation and um, soft tissue mobilization kind of things. But ultimately, uh, osteopaths are at least in the United States, they have prescription rights and many of them do surgeries, back surgery. And um, so there's a little bit of a difference in terms of scope of practice and philosophy. Okay, so why would we go to a chiropractor? At what moment would we would need one? Well, a lot of people just associate chiropractic with neck or back pain. But as we're going to talk about today, when you focus on your optimal health and your brain health, then there's many different practitioners that can help you bridge the gap from where you are today to where you want to be with your health. And we spend a lot of time focusing on ways to improve your health without using any kind of drugs or surgeries, and that it's mostly a very hands-on, integrative approach that focuses on the brain and the nervous system, and of course, your immune health. Hmm. You spoke a little bit about neuroplasticity. What is that? Well, neuroplasticity is the way that we can influence the way your brain works by doing things like exercising, eating specific foods, getting a neck adjustment or a back adjustment, or even a wrist adjustment or a finger adjustment. So there's a lot of ways that um, your brain can become imbalanced. And by using these techniques, we can actually make your brain function more optimally. And that's what really neuroplasticity is. We're creating new connections. In fact, 
you may not know this, but when you were born, 95% of your nervous system didn't even exist. And it developed through when your mom was singing songs to you, when your dad was throwing you up in the air, when mom put you on your belly on the ground and you started lifting your head up and looking around. It actually um, created the connectivity and the neurological pathways from the brain to the target and from the target to the brain. And so it creates this sort of bi-directional relationship. And many times things that can happen in our lifetimes can break down that connectivity. And so what we're really doing is we're restoring the way that your body and brain communicate and creating more balance. That's amazing. And that's actually an excellent explanation. Because we, we don't think of that. We don't think of that at all. That yes, there's connection with the parents, how they brought us up and who we've become and the, the form that we have today and how that's broken down through societies, through maybe um, vibrations, words that have been said. And we get lost. Um, yes. So can you give me like um, a concrete example of, of a patient who had that, um, that part which was missing or, or got lost and what you did to help him get back to who he is and, and create optimal health? Well, I would like to use myself as an example of the patient. Okay. Coming up on May 23rd, I'll be uh, experiencing 11-year anniversary from a near-fatal traumatic brain injury um, that wow. almost... Yeah. And so um, through my recovery, I found my way to uh, yoga, Pilates, and chiropractic care. I was treated by an orthopedic doctor initially, and they gave me steroid injections and pain medications and electric therapy kind of uh, technologies. But it really didn't create the thriving brain that I was missing. And once I went to the chiropractor, I had an immediate uh, improvement in my brain health. It was through adjustments. Um, one of the first things the doctor told me was, well, you need to start walking two miles a day. And I could barely get out of bed. So I told them, you know what? You can uh, take a hike yourself two miles a day. And it wasn't <laughs> something that I was really thinking that was going to help me. Like, how is this going to help me? And yeah. through my own um you know, amazing recovery, it created a passion inside me. And I started exploring the options for changing my lifestyle and changing my career. And I went back to chiropractic school at age 43 and graduated at age 47. Wow. So you had an excellent experience with the chiropractor and that pushed you to want to, uh, to get into that. I was wondering actually. And so today, yeah. 11 years later, uh, you're healthy. You said that you had that brain um, problem, uh, traumatic brain survivor, or, and today you're better. Yes. And I think one of the things that people don't understand about traumatic brain injuries is that it's an invisible injury. You could look at me and say, well, he looks normal. But in terms of things like eye tracking, concentration, focus, um, how you sleep, how you handle stress and all of those things are really driven by the function of the brain. And it's not until you get that changed through a traumatic situation like what I went through that you realize how important the brain really is in controlling things. And when you do therapies that uh, affect the brain and they have a big impact, 
it's very powerful and empowering. And it's amazing to me. I would have to say the most addictive part of my job is seeing that that light come on when people get their brain functioning better. And I have to admit, I am addicted to that. It sounds exciting. I think some people will have no idea what it is because the, the way their brain is functioning today um, for them will be normal. Even if like there's, it's not functioning very well, they're so used to it that that is the new norm. Just what I mean. Yes. Um, so, for example, yesterday I had a patient come in and spend an hour in the hyperbaric oxygen chamber that I have here at my office. And they came out and we stepped outside and they were just like, oh my God, like, the tree looks so green. The sky looks so blue. They were really astonished and amazed. And I said, well, you know, we just get used to the wrong way. We just get used to the, the lesser way. And it's not until somebody directly changes that and puts our vision back into high def again that we go, wow, I didn't realize that my, my eyes weren't functioning as well as they could. So oh, it's really powerful. Right, right, right. I see. So you worked on their eyes and it helped. I thought it was like working on the perception of, of, the, of life, of the world, of their body. We gave their body more oxygen in a pressurized environment for 60 minutes. And that okay. does increase the plasticity because it reconnects those neurons. It makes new neurons. It makes new blood vessels. It drains lymphatics that are congested. It reduces swelling and edema in the cerebral hemispheres and anywhere in the body. So it's really an amazing therapy. That is incredible. That is excellent. Now, you, uh, you're known as the gut doctor, okay? So I'd like to know why you're known as that. And so the title today is How to Create Optimal Health. So tell us a little bit about the gut, why you're known as that, and, and how the gut can help us create optimal health or not. Okay, it's, it's a really interesting topic to get involved in. And um, I was diagnosed in 1972 at age three with celiac disease, which is an autoimmune condition where your body fails to safely digest and absorb anything that has wheat, barley, or rye in it. And um, oh. the, uh, the rate of, so the rate of diagnosis today is much higher in fact, in the general population, at least in the United States, about one out of every 133 people is diagnosed with celiac disease. And there's also another form called non-celiac gluten intolerance. So a lot of the symptoms are similar, but celiac disease really involves an attack, an autoimmune attack of the small intestine. Um, the little microvilli that line your small intestine are involved in absorption and so um, it's, it's a barren wasteland. In fact, if we were to stretch out the surface area of your small intestine, it's equivalent to the surface area of a tennis court. So it's wow. really highly important to make sure that that environment is healthy so that you can absorb and eat your food. One thing I would like to say is that you've probably heard the um, comment that you are what you eat. And yes. I don't disagree with that. But I would take it a step further and say, you are what you absorb. And I think that's a really important comment. And now, so, um, yeah, you were just you were just saying that there are quite, I didn't, I didn't catch the percentage of Americans 
who were diagnosed with celiac disease. Why is that? Is it because well, of what, what the food over there, the way the way it's grown? Is it the pollution? Why is that? I think that it's a combination of factors. The uh, agricultural scientists would say that we're growing the same wheat today that we were growing 50 years ago. So it's not necessarily a situation where we have some kind of like franken wheat that's been GMO'd and it's totally modified and it's having an effect. But what I do think that we have is an increased exposure to environmental toxins. This is air pollution, water pollution. In the United States, you know, 97% of us are deficient in our consumption of fruits and vegetables. And so if you said, well, you have a healthy immune system, then you can tolerate some of the things that would challenge your body. And so in the case of a weakened immunity, you may be more susceptible to an autoimmune attack. I would like to say one thing too about autoimmunity that we've learned over the years, which is that if you go upstream and you go to the intestinal barriers, okay, they don't make tanks with roll down windows, but because of stress, inflammation, environmental toxins, persistent organic pollutants, and a lot of other factors, those tight junctions that keep out pathogens get basically broken open. And we have a term for it called leaky gut. I've okay. heard of that. <laughs> and leaky gut is kind of the upstream event that's associated with almost every form of autoimmunity. And so in addressing autoimmune conditions and addressing the gut conditions, the first thing we do is we tighten those junctions back up again. And, you know, it's like the door's open and all these things yeah. are coming in. So close the door. Exactly. So how do you do that? I just want to mention that we have a message from, in French, from um, Karina, uh, who lives in France. It says it's really interesting to have a doctor who's actually concerned by um, celiac disease. It's always interesting to have a doctor who, who went through that. And so he's, he's able even more to explain uh, this area. So thank you, Karina, for that. Merci, Karina. <laughs> I'll say it in French. Merci. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so can you close that my door? French, right? There you go. Merci. Thank you. <laughs> Pretty good. Okay. So um, I think one of the other things that's important to understand about the way that your gut works is that there's over a thousand different bacterial species they, you may know them as microbes, and so that's why we call it the microbiome. Okay. Back in 1950, when our grandparents were alive, um, there were 80% more native forests on the planet. And you think of the rainforest. The rainforest is probably the most diverse um, region in the whole world in terms of biodiversity. And... Mm -hmm. As we've depleted the forest by 80%, we've also depleted the available microbes that come from the soil by 80%. And so we have a decreased biodiversity of microbes, which makes it a little bit more of a fragile scenario. And so I would like people to think of their inner body as a garden because we call those bacterial species microflora. Flora sounds like flower or plant to me. Yeah. 
And it's really important that you adopt a gardening mentality because a huge portion, up to about 80% of your immune function is actually driven by the diversity and health of that microbiome in your gut. Okay, so today, I'm just going to bring back to today, we're hearing a lot about um, bacteria, about um, microbes. Um, we always get the impression that it's all bad. It's all bad, you have to disinfect yourself and etc. Obviously, the microbiome in the gut is something um, which is good. And we have to have good uh, microbes and good bacteria, which is good for us. And so that's what you're exactly. saying is to cultivate that garden. So how well, do we do that? We know how, that how well, we know that there are bad viruses, pathogens, and bacteria. And so what we've done essentially is we've created a symbiotic relationship with healthy commensal bacteria that provide a potent immune function. For example, enzymes. If you were to take a bite out of an apple, your human enzymes have zero ability to break down the skin of the apple where the majority of the nutrients are. But when you feed the bacteria in your gut, the apple skin, they're able to break it down and release the nutrients that your body needs from the apple skin. One interesting uh, statistic says that in your body, there is a 10 to 1 bacteria to human cells. So in other words, we are more bacterial as a species than we are human. And so most of the genes in your body are actually the genes that come from your bacteria that live inside of you. So really, if you think about it, why does one person get sick and one person doesn't get sick when exposed to a pathogen? And if you take that gardening mentality, well, if you take a healthy seed and you plant it, it's going to flourish. Um, but if you take a bad seed or a weed, for example, in your garden, why does one garden have more weeds than the other? It's not just a lack of the gardener. It may be the conditions of that garden foster the growth of weeds. And so what can we do as people to make sure that our garden is able to fight off the weeds, so to speak, and stay optimally healthy? I'll give you a good analogy because people have heard about a couple of different things. They've heard about prebiotics. Yes. Okay. They've heard about probiotics. That's right. But they probably have not heard about what we call postbiotics. No, and this never heard is of where it. this is where it's really important to, to make the analogy. I'll use the garden mentality and, and analogy as an example. So the soil, the sunlight, the water are the prebiotics. Okay, they are the fuel that provides the environment for the probiotics, which are, let's say, let's use the example of a tomato plant. The tomato plant is the probiotic that grows in the healthy soil. The tomatoes that the tomato plant grows are the postbiotics. And so that's what we're really after. Your body makes vitamin, the bacteria make vitamin C, they make vitamin K, they make antioxidants that are very potent for keeping your immune function healthy. It's a good way of seeing it, actually, the, um, the example of the, uh, the soil, because if you see it like the soil is the pre, so it's what you 
you water is what you, it's the beginning. It's almost like the foundation. And then you have the, uh, the stalk and the leaves, which are the pre, uh, sorry, the pro. The pro. <laughs> the pro <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, then you have the post, which are actual fruit, the tomatoes. Right. It's a good way right. of seeing it. Thank you for that metal technique. Okay. And we, uh, we actually go. have a second brain in our gut. It's called the enteric nervous system. And it's got six times more neurons in it than your spinal cord does. What is that used for? Because so, that when know, we talk about second, I could the get second on a plane point. and fly to France or, you know, we could do this, right? We can communicate instantly. And so instead of the bacteria and brain having to travel long distances to communicate back and forth, the brain just said, well, we'll just put some brain down here in the, in the nervous system in the gut so that that communication can happen in a very rapid and efficient manner. And it's okay. that signaling between the bacteria and the nervous system that controls DNA replication and transcription and gene function. How does that impact gene function? I'm interested in that. Because of the way that the bacteria are communicating information to the nervous system. So maybe an imbalance in the, in, the, in the gut will signal the brain, hey, we need more of this over here in sector A. We need more of this in sector B. And so it's a way of efficiently communicating because the balance has to be maintained very precisely. And any little tiny imbalance can cause massive disruptions in the function of the brain. You've heard of the term brain fog and yeah, things like it. that. And that's right. A lot of people that have been exposed to gluten or other yeah. pathogens get brain fog and they feel fatigued and they have a hard time falling asleep. They have a hard time going to the bathroom, things like that. So I'm going to come back to that subject. We just have a question from Karina in French. Um, she asked, those who have fibromyalgia, what advice do you have for them when it comes to optimal health or what can you say there? Well, I would include fibromyalgia in the category of autoimmunity, which is really some okay. level of imbalance. So if you have a backyard that's just dirt and no garden, you might have a higher chance of suffering from something like fibromyalgia. If you have a healthy, thriving, and diverse garden, then you have less chance of suffering from conditions like autoimmune things such as fibromyalgia. And these are, um, it's really, unfortunately, um, a diagnosis of exclusion. It's like, well, we don't really know what's going on, but you have pain here and you have pain here and pain everywhere. And yeah. pain is really the last thing that shows up in the process of things being dysfunctional. The good news is, is that once we create a, a quick balance in the gut, then a lot of patients with the, I mean, even rheumatoid arthritis could be classified as autoimmune. And so this is the immune attack of the joints. But if you think about it, toxins that get locked inside your body, try to get out. And it's an imbalance in the way that your body and brain are communicating. And the pain response is your body's way of saying, hey, there's something wrong here. Let's pay attention. It's not a lack of opioid medications. 
Yeah. You know, well, we did a blood test and you're deficient in <laughs> opioids. So let's just bump up your opioid levels and that'll take away your pain. Or in the United States, what they do in a lot of cases is they'll give out a medication called prednisone. And guess what that does? What does that do? It suppresses your immune function. So you have all the swelling and inflammation because your immune system is activated. So let's just turn the damn thing off instead of fixing it or getting to the root cause or the root, the root, uh, you know, why is it happening? Well, it's happening because of stress, inflammation, bad food, bad water, a lot of factors. I'm just writing this in French so that Karina can <laughs> understand. There you go. Bad food. Okay. So basically, um, just coming back to the actual garden of how we can better nourish that garden. What, what type of food should we be eating uh, avoiding are you would you recommend supplements also a question if we have had celiac disease we have celiac disease or we're gluten intolerant once we've worked on our garden as you say our gut can that be over overcome can we then come like oh now i can eat gluten so far, there's not really a cure for celiac disease. Um, there's a couple of organizations that are working on medicines to cure that. But really, there's a simple approach, which is a gluten-free lifestyle. So that just means, hey, every time I eat these things, I get sick. So the answer is just don't eat those things. And there has to be some careful attention to what people do eat because a lot of the gluten-free foods that people adopt are different foods than what they may be used to consuming. And so sometimes we have to gradually increase those or we have to find out if there's sensitivity levels. Unfortunately, there's about 24 common foods that have a molecular structure that's very similar to wheat. And after years and years of damage, your body loses what we call the oral tolerance and it can't really recognize which is which. And so sometimes, even though people go gluten-free, um, they may still continue to suffer the symptoms of gluten. And we call that molecular mimicry. So let's say you eat rice and rice has no gluten in it, but your body can't distinguish the rice from the gluten. And so we still see the damage being done because the body is reacting an immune response. So sometimes when people don't thrive after about six months, we'll do a blood test to check for antibodies against, um, you know, against gluten that the body is still reacting. We know that you didn't eat anything with gluten in it. So it can't be an antibody to real gluten. It can be a mistake that the body's making. And so um, it can take actually up to two full years of going gluten-free for the damage that's been done inside your body to heal. And in my case, if I were exposed to one one thousandth of a molecule of gluten, it can set off an immune cascade lasting up to six months. So really? care and caution are very important. There's a lot of ways that people are exposed, but I know we're running out of time here. Oh, it's okay. Keep going. <laughs> it's so interesting. I think it's really important to to always check with your medical provider before making any dietary changes or lifestyle changes, 
because those can have detrimental effects if you're already taking medications. Um, you know, don't just stop taking medications without the advice of your practitioner. So a lot of things, what I, what I prefer to focus for people to do is, you mentioned before about what foods should we avoid. If we're talking about yeah. optimal health, if you were going to build a garden from scratch in your backyard, what do you think makes the best soil? Gobs and gobs of red meat and chicken or fish and eggs, or perhaps plant matter. Hmm. That's something to consider. So optimal health is really driven by optimal food choices. And if you stay away from foods that are known to have an inflammatory response, then your immune system can stay in balance. If you challenge it and fight it three times a day and cause massive amounts of inflammation, your source of disease is the food that you're eating. And so it's really simple to change the food that you eat. If you look at the work of Dr. Dean Ornish, Caldwell Esselstyn, Dr. John McDougall, um, those are just some basic examples that they will tell you that a whole foods plant-based diet is the optimal way to create optimal health. And I have been living that way since 1987. I have yet to have a protein deficiency. So today you're um, you're a vegan, vegetarian. I am vegan. Okay. Since 1989 and vegetarian since 1987. 31 years vegan, 33 years vegetarian, and I'm 51 years old, folks. You're looking good <laughs> and you. happy. Okay. I'm so happy. basically, basically, I'm just going to say uh, also uh, in French. Um, ceux qui écoutent en français. Um, afin de bien travailler son jardin intestinal, il faut favoriser la nourriture à base de plantes. Donc, il faut manger plutôt vegan ou végétarien, si on ne peut pas faire vegan. Mais euh, c'est un premier... Euh, ah. Donc, si on veut planter quelque chose dans un vrai jardin, on ne va pas mettre la viande, hein, on ne va pas mettre la bœuf dans, dans la terre pour le faire pousser. On va mettre des, des graines, des plantes pour le faire germer. Et c'est pareil pour les intestins. Okay, but there you go. You got your second lesson of French. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just answering questions. Uh, which sort of foods, apart from meat, what other sort types of food could people avoid to create optimal health? Well, we we really strongly know with absolute certainty that dairy products are very inflammatory on the body. This is unfortunately milk and cheese. <laughs> even yeah. even the soft cheeses, cream cheese. Um, and if you see what happens to the blood vessels, think of your blood vessels as a river, okay? And they deliver all the oxygen and nutrients throughout 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. And yeah. if you put a dam on a river, you get a stinky lake. Exactly. Okay. So if you eat healthy plant foods, it blows up the dam and it allows that river to flow. Wonderful. Okay. So it's so important. Avoid dairy yes. if we can. Uh, let's just get that also in French for those who watch it in French. And um, avoid dairy and also uh, avoid uh, meat. What about, just for just to finish, what about supplements? Are there supplements that we should be taking that we could take, which are beneficial? There's no blanket approach for supplements. Most people tend to be deficient in vitamin D, 
and vitamin B12. So those are the two main things that I tend to get people started on. It doesn't mean that you'll have to take the same amount forever. It can just be a bridge between where you are now and where we want you to be. If you get outside for 15 to 20 minutes and you expose your arms to the sunlight, then you'll make all the healthy vitamin D that your body needs. And so um, even here in Southern California, people are deficient in vitamin D, even though we get a lot of exposure. So then we have to think about what are the factors that are blocking the creation and absorption of that vitamin D. Inflammatory states, you know, things like that can really be bad. I do have a um, spore-based probiotic that I recommend people do. And this can be taken for several months or taken in, in, you know, forever, basically. And this is a way to constantly put the gardener in the garden. And what is that? It's a spore-based probiotic that's actually able to survive your stomach, uh, which is a pH of one in the acidity scale. So it's, it's designed to kill 99.9% of all bacteria. And so if you want to confer a benefit to your gut microbiome, you have to get past the, the protective mechanisms that your body has in place to prevent bacteria from getting in. But we said before that there's healthy bacteria. So when we put the healthy bacteria in, we can put specific species in. We said before tomato plant. Well, I like to eat tomatoes. I live in the south of France, right? Tomatoes are a big thing here. <laughs> we want tomatoes. Um, uh, one of the species produces powerful carotenoids, which are amazing antioxidants. One of the species in the probiotic produces 12 natural antibiotics. So okay. there's, there's ways to influence the species that are living in your garden and the effects that that can have on your health. One of the other things about this probiotic product is that it has been scientifically proven to reverse the leaky gut that we talked about before. Yep. Ah, okay. Reverse it. Yes, okay. sure. If it reverses leaky gut, then can we go back to eating certain things like gluten if we were previously intolerant or would that still no. be avoided? Okay. When you're gluten intolerant, you're gluten intolerant. A question. Um, so Karina, who I think has fibromyalgia, says uh, she eats cheese every morning. Is she wrong to do so? And if so, would it be cooked cheese or, or what they call is um, um, raw cheese? What type of cheese? Would you say avoid? That? Would you put that in dairy? I would put it in dairy. And okay. I'm sorry to say it, you know, because a lot of people are, they love cheese. But what we've proved scientifically oh. is that cheese is more addicting than heroin. Really? Yes. When you eat cheese, your body breaks down the particles and it releases something called caseomorphin. What does that sound like? Morphin. Sounds like morphine. Yeah. And it's an opiate. And so oh. the very last thing that I gave up um, before I became vegan was cheese. And so we are addicted to it. It's the pleasure trap. We are eating foods that have an addictive response in our body. And the reason why they're so hard to give up is because of that addiction that's created. That's incredible because I love cheese. 
And as a vegan, my most difficult thing to stop was cheese. And the only right. way to get through it is just not, you know, not buy it. And that way I'm, I'm fine. It's not in the fridge. But if I go and somewhere, invite it out and there's cheese, I'm like, oh, so it is addictive. Yes. And there are a lot of so-called vegan cheeses, um, yes. but a lot of them are made from oil and they're highly processed. So I'd say even though there's a, there's an analog for real cheese, you can have this fake cheese, but I say keep it to a minimum if at all. Okay. Uh, maybe on a rare occasion, you can have those things. But the point is, is that we don't need an analog for real cheese. We don't need fake cheese to make, you know, a yeah. replacement for real cheese because there's so many other delicious and healthy foods that you can add to your diet and it almost becomes like a new adventure. And so don't think of it as, well, I have to replace one thing with a fake thing. Just wipe the plate clean and just add, there's, there's, you can name, how many vegetables could you name in 10 seconds? You know, there's probably hundreds and hundreds of vegetable types that you could try out. There's more vegan recipes available than we have days left in our lives. Yeah, that's incredible. I think you're right. That's right. Because um, we do try to replace foods when we become vegan, vegetarian, but we shouldn't. We should start to explore what we don't know and what is good for the, for the body, for the gut. We would call those fake foods transitional foods. And it doesn't mean don't eat them. But in terms of the inflammatory response and in terms of the way that they fuel the bacteria. So let's just say one thing here. When you eat, what's the purpose of eating? Is it to taste food? Is it for your own benefit, to, for the pleasure of the taste and the texture? Or is it we're feeding the bacteria that live in our gut. Well, it should be latter. For many years, we're feeding myself, the bacteria in our gut. So, like we said before, you give the right soil, you give water, you give sunlight. Maybe go out there and give the plants a nice little hug. Then you're going to have a thriving garden. But if you put, you know, you wouldn't spend six months go out build a garden, make it thriving. It's beautiful. You got every color in the rainbow and then go out there and take a gallon of bleach and water it. Yeah. You give it good water, you give it nutrition, you give it sunlight. We don't try and you know, poison our garden. And so what yeah. you have to think about is when you're eating something, is this a poison or is this something that's like a fertilizer for the garden? You feed the bacteria, they feed you. I love it. I love your metaphors. Mm -hmm. It's spot on. Very pedagogical, this interview. Thank Dr. McLean, thank you so much for this interview and for your time. Appreciate if people would like to contact you, where can, they, where can they reach you? Well, there's a number of ways. Um, I have a Facebook page. It's called Your Optimal Health Chiropractor. Okay. I also, have a, I also have a website, the same name. It's www.youroptimalhealthchiropractor.com. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I think the best way is by email. And you can send me an email to chris at mclean.com. Chris. So it's just it's my nice. first name at mylastname.com. <laughs> okay.
or that's an easy email. Mm -hmm. So Facebook, either your optimal health chiropractor or email chris at claim.com and your website you said was www.youroptimalhealthchiropractor.com. That's that right? is correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll mention that in the comments. Thank you so much for your time. I'm, I really feel blessed that you know you gave us the time and so much precious advice. Guys, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Dr. McLean will let you go, get on with your day, have an amazing day, and we'll Thank speak you. to you soon. Mind, body, and soul. Real comfortable. Align mind, body, and soul. Real comfortable.